You're listening to the Bellevue Baptist Gadsden Podcast. We pray that this message will be a blessing to you. Thanks for listening. If you would, open up your Bibles to Galatians chapter 1. We're going to be in the first 10 verses this morning. Colt, thank you for the opportunity to preach. You might regret it afterwards, but I am going to enjoy every moment of it. Let's pray together if you would. Father in heaven, I ask that in this time together that your word would accomplish its set purpose, that you would speak through me, that your spirit would fill this place, that you would anoint us to be able to hear your words and to act on what we hear. May we never be merely hearers, but doers of the word as well. I pray that we heed these warnings seriously today and that we walk in your faithfulness and sustained by your hand. And we pray this through Christ our Lord and everyone said together, Amen. So I've been preparing for this sermon for weeks now and praying over it, and I really hope that, uh, not only do I hope, I trust that the Word is going to accomplish what it's supposed to do. When I was, uh, I shared this story at Kids in Training last week or the week before, but when I was about five or six years old, um, it was in the 80s, we were leaving the Boaz Walmart, and it was pouring down rain. I remember we got to my mom's uh, car. She had a Chevy Corsica. Don't mean to flex on some of you guys, but she had a Chevy Corsica. And we were putting the groceries into her. That's not a very nice car for you younger people. But uh, we were putting the groceries in her car. No, not groceries because they didn't sell groceries then. We were putting the stuff that you bought at Walmart in my mom's car. When my mom noticed in the bottom of the buggy, there was a two-pack of AAA batteries that hadn't gotten scanned. And we put our cart, our, put our buggy back into the, the cart bay like a good American. And then we went back in the store so my mom could pay for those two AAA batteries. And I don't know what AAA's batteries cost in 1988, but I'm sure it was around a dollar. I mean, you used to could buy things for a dollar. But uh, she went in and she paid for them. And that always stood out to me. Especially we're talking about Mother's Day today. My mom set an example for me that night, that rainy night in Boaz, Alabama. She set an example of integrity because she showed us that integrity is worth a lot more than a dollar. I mean, she could have thrown them in the back of the car. She could have just drove off. But she set an example for me that I will never forget. My mom was then and she still is a woman of integrity. And I thank God every day for mom, if you're watching. Happy Mother's Day. To my beautiful wife sitting next to the camera, happy Mother's Day, babe. She's a wonderful woman, and she modeled it by example, and she did what was right with the small stuff, and as a little bitty feller, I just paid attention to what she did with the little things. And integrity is something that you either have or you don't. So the integrity and the word integer share the same root. An integer is a whole number. Is that correct, Susan Sauls? An integer is a whole number? Okay, philosophical. Okay. (laughs) She's the math teacher. Okay. So you can't kind of have integrity. It's either whole or not. And just as an individual can't kind of have integrity, a church can't kind of have integrity. Either a church has integrity or it doesn't. Either you as an individual have integrity or you don't. And this is important for us as a church because we've been called to be set apart from the world, 1 Timothy 1.5 and James 1.27. But as a church, we've been called to have integrity because we've been charged with carrying the most important information to ever grace the surface of the earth. We preach Christ and Christ crucified. And as a church, 
We're a body of Christians led by men of integrity and consisting of born-again people of integrity for the sole purpose of God's glory. As sinners, this means for you personally and for me and for the body of our church, we're going to have to make course corrections throughout our entire lives to remain people in a congregation of integrity. When we fail, not if, when we fail, we turn to Christ. And he is always there facing us. He set an example for us on the cross that far exceeds paying for two AAA batteries. He took on the sins of all who would call on him for salvation, and now he reigns at the right hand of God the Father. Amen? Amen. Well, integrity is not only hard to keep if you're a born-again believer, it's, it's hard to keep in a culture that doesn't resemble itself from 100 years ago. And not only does it not resemble itself from 100 years ago, it doesn't resemble itself from 20 years ago. It's changing at a lightning pace. We live in the residue of a culture that once was, and I want to say this, I put this in my notes, the 80s, the 90s, and the 2000s weren't some glamorous Christian oasis. I know because I was there. But neither, before you get too excited, were the 50s, 60s, or 70s, some bastion of Christian virtue. But I'll tell you what all these decades had in common. A shared, albeit simple, understanding of biblical morality. In our culture, there was a basic understanding of biblical morality that is now gone. It does not exist. And unfortunately, Christians and churches had a hand to play in this. I'm convinced and I'm convicted that one of the core, the three core reasons we ended up where we're at right now as a society in America, because that's my context, uh, there's three, it's threefold. One, too many churches now and today do not fear God at all. With the, some, some of the things I see shared on Facebook, Instagram, I don't have TikTok, but whatever that stuff is, some of the things I see shared are, from pastors is appalling. It's blasphemous. We have churches that do not fear God. We have church attenders that do not fear God. The second reason, too many churches are ignorant of or lack a reverence for his word. To look at what it says plainly on the pages and say, yes, I believe that. Without dying the death of a thousand qualifications as you explain it to somebody. Yes, I believe what the word says. And the third reason which stems from and also continues to breed the first two reasons is too many churches pursue men to lead and pastor who are biblically unqualified. They lack the biblical qualifications to pastor in a church. And then when you pair that with the many churches and individuals that have forsaken biblical truth in order to, air quotes here, better connect with those they're trying to reach, they water down the gospel and they go soft on sin. So what happens is they end up looking exactly like the culture they're trying to reach. There are churches here in Etowah County that I could go into a worship service and it looks no different than the bar in North Birmingham that I could go to. Same lights, same programming, same mentality goes into planning it. 
they've become like the culture around them. Psalm 115, 4 through 8 warns about this. It talks about those who fabricate idols and worship them. It says their idols are of silver and gold. They work. They're the work of human hands. They have mouths. They can't speak. Eyes they can't see. They have ears. They don't hear. Noses but don't smell. They have hands but they can't feel. They have feet but they can't walk. They make no sounds in their throat. Those who make them, listen to this, become like them as do all who trust in them. I mean, we've got churches so off course, they could hide their own Easter eggs, if you know what I'm saying. They don't, got, they don't have enough common sense to look at the Word and see what does the Word say. So in, intentionally or obtusely, they propagate and they repeat the same lie the devil used to entice Eve. Did God really say Did God really say that? I can't tell you how many times someone will ask me, what do you believe about a specific issue? And I'll tell them, well, I believe this. And before I can even cite the reference from Scripture, they'll say, well, I don't think it really says that. Well, I don't remember you being the editor-in-chief. I don't remember you getting that calling from the Lord. So listen to this. And thinking about... Because we're, we're as susceptible to this as anybody, if we're not vigilant. Listen to what it says in 1 Corinthians 6, 9-11. through 11. It says, Don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, the idolaters, the adulterers, men who practice homosexuality, thieves, those who are greedy, those who are drunkards, revilers, swindlers. None of these will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. Wait. Is this, is my mic on? I just said, and such were some of you. And such were some of you. Amen? But God purified you. He justified you. He called you to Christ by his spirit. I think one of the reasons we lack regard for the word is we don't realize we've been saved from a hellfire. It's pathetic. And listen, I'm preaching to the choir. I have to look at myself every day in the mirror. Do I really believe that God saved my soul from damnation? Yes! And so I'm going to act like it. I'm going to parent like it. I'm going to preach like it. I'm going to treat others like it, hopefully, unless I'm at Walmart. It's hard. But then when people say, Is sexual sin, will that really damn you if you don't repent? Yes! Unequivocally, yes! There was a day when if you were shacked up, your family wouldn't even mention it. But we've lost our gag reflex to sin. Will homosexuality condemn you, damn you, if you don't repent? Yes! But here's the good news, Bellevue. We believe in repentance. We believe in a God who saves. The story doesn't end there. And man, I get fired up about this. Because this is good news. The Brandon Pierce who stands in this pulpit in 2023 died in 1994. And God put a new heart in my body, gave me a new mind and a new passion for him. How incredible is that? 
Don't forget what you were saved from. We get to repent. So we have to be vigilantly dedicated to the word. We don't apologize for it. And ultimately, we have to keep our integrity with the word because if God can't trust us with simple biblical truth, why would he trust us with anything else? I would rather he shut the doors. And our text today is relevant because the the churches in Galatia were in a very similar situation. If you would, look at your Bibles. I'm going to read verses 1 through 10. Paul, an apostle, not from men, not through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me, to the churches of Galatia, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Then in verse 6, he says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, not that there is another one. But there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. And as I've said before, I say it again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. So the first observation I want us to see this morning is that we are sent out by God to share and preach the gospel. Paul begins this section by addressing what and who he is. He's an apostle. The word apostle, apostle literally just means one who is sent out. He's sent out to preach the gospel. Not only was he sent, but he was sent by Christ himself in Acts chapter 9. And every born-again Christian is sent out by God as well. We're his ambassadors. 2 Corinthians 5, 20-21, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You know, my, the college I went to, Ozark Christian College, our mascot was the ambassadors. Do you know how hard that is to explain to anybody? They're like, like the dude who delivers the mail. Yeah, the guy who delivers the mail. That's me. Like, that's what I do. And with the Bible, that's the whole idea. We're just ambassadors for Christ. We just share the message God has given us. So every single one of us are sent out and commissioned by the Lord himself. So every day we wake up is a new day to go out and represent Christ. It's a new day to live for him. He's purified us, and we don't want to waste that time. I've explained this to my boys. I've told my little boys, if I take $5 from you, I can give $5 back. I probably won't, but I could. But if I take five hours from you or even five minutes, I cannot give you that time back. That time, it's in... um, It's invaluable because it's our only true unrenewable resource in this life. We can't gain back time. And the second observation I want us to make is that we're sent out by Christ because he gave himself for us. 
So if we're going to be people of integrity, a church of integrity, to preach the gospel with integrity, we have to realize that we're sent out, and we're sent out because he gave himself to purchase us. In verse 3, he reminds us of the grace and peace that we have, and I love this phrase, from Christ. There is no grace and peace found elsewhere. Peace only comes from Christ. It's the only peace that surpasses understanding. And how do we have God's grace and peace? Because he went through torment and wrath for us. So I can have his peace because he went through the unimaginable for me. And he did this for a specific purpose that he made clear. To do the will of the Father. I've loved our series on the Gospel of John. And if, you, if you've been reading through John, one thing you'll notice, it comes up, there's a phrase that comes up a hundred times John uses in the Gospel is the Father, the Father. Jesus refers to God as the Father. I came not on my own accord, but to do the will of the Father. All that are given to me by the Father will not be loosed from my hands. I and the Father am one. He's making his connection with the Father. So Christ gave himself according to the will of the Father. And what was the will of the Father? We see it in verse 4. That Jesus would give himself for the sins of us and to deliver us from this present evil age. Now the word for there is hyper in Greek, on behalf of. And I love the word deliver us or to, or, or to take us out of this sinful age. Uh, Echolitai means to tear or pluck out. Uh, we just planted a garden recently and we had to tear and pluck out a whole bunch of stuff before we could get the garden ready. And it involved a lot of sweat. It involved a 38-year-old back that thought it was 28. Uh, it involved my kids getting in the way. It was a painful process. But it was worth it for new growth. God has torn us out of the present evil age. You know, in James 1.27, a lot of people love the text that says that, uh, that pure religion is to care for orphans and widows. But there's a second part to that. The second part is, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So we care for orphans and widows, but we also keep ourselves uh, protected from the sinfulness of the world. We desire to cling to Christ. Now, you would think that Jesus delivering us from damnation, hellfire, eternal torment to new life would produce in us an unwavering commitment to him but sadly, that's just not the case. Which leads to my third observation. We are all tempted to wander from Christ. One of my favorite hymns of all time is Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. And in the third verse, there have been no words more relevant to my soul than what's found in the third verse. O oh, to grace, how great a debtor daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness, Lord, like a fetter, bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, O oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Every day, my heart is tempted to stray from the one who rescued it. And yours is too. And we can feel it. And so when we sing that song, we're, we're acknowledging this reality that we have this waywardness in us that tries to pull us, and it's the sin inside of us 
that pulls us away. You know, when I talk about our culture and the culture we live in, the culture doesn't dictate what we do in here. And a lot of times we like to blame the culture. You know, well, if the government would just do this, or if our schools would just do this. And in reality, it's if you would just do what you're supposed to do, and if our church would just do what it's supposed to do collectively, we'd be in a lot better shape. It's easy to point out there, but my concern is with the guy, like I said, I look at in the mirror and those who sit in the walls of this church. I'm not, I don't, I'm not going to sit around blaming everybody else. It's not Jax's fault that I'm overweight. All right? I'm the one who drove to the drive-thru. And I see that all the time. Man, kids these days, I just can't believe how, how they turned out. People your generation, I hear this all the time as a 38-year-old. You millennials, I just can't believe you guys are the way you are. Well, somebody raised us. We didn't just self-materialize. There was a generation of parents who had similar thoughts, who raised kids who were spoiled little brats. And they were spoiled little brats. And their parents before them, God bless your grandmama and your great-grandmama, they were spoiled brats too. Sinners. Every single one of us. The whole lot. And so we're tempted to leave him. So in verse 6, Paul expresses his astonishment because of how quickly they are deserting the true gospel and turning to another faith. And I love what verse 7 says. Not that there even is one. It's not like there's good news apart from Christ. He is the way, the truth, the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. So when someone asks me that simple question, do you really believe that no one can come to the Father except through Jesus? Yes and amen. And praise God for it. Praise God that he made a way. When people say, well, that doesn't seem fair, that the only way is Jesus, I'm like, it's not fair that you get to go at all. He at least gave you a way. So we rejoice in that. There's no Savior but Christ. There's no back door into heaven. And we submit ourselves to him because everything else is a lie that will seduce us into destruction. What time we got? Okay. Why would we leave the God we love? Why would we stray from him? Well, I believe Bob Coughlin from Sovereign Grace Music hit the nail on the head. He once said that every week that a church gathers, a congregation struggles with three things. And I'm going to add a fourth. Sin, shame, self-reliance, and seduction. So most people wander from the Lord because of their own sinfulness. You sin, that alienates you from God, it alienates you from others. Sometimes it's sin that you're lured in and you're enticed in, and sometimes it's sin that you willingly run to because you want to do it. So our sin alienates us. The second reason, some people, they know they've been saved, they know they're loved by God, but they live in the residual shame of their past. And here's the good thing about, um, here's the good thing about forgiveness Here's the good thing about repentance. You don't live at that address anymore. You can't go back there. That house has been burnt down. Christ has taken care of it. So you shouldn't live in that shame. Once you repent, it's done. There's no more work to do. As we talk about self-reliance, some folks believe that God has saved them, but instead of walking in his free grace, they think it's up to them to carry themselves on to the next point. 
And Vody Baca, one of my favorite pastors, he said, if you could lose your salvation, you would. you lose your car keys. You would lose your salvation. So God keeps us. We persevere through him, and we can't add anything to what he has done. And lastly, when I talk about seduction, there are those who are led away from Christ by false teachers, false religions, secular worldviews, wicked people who take pleasure in leading Christians astray. These are the kinds of people that Paul is warning about, he's warning the Galatians about, in our text today. These are people, they are being led astray by men who want to lead them astray. They want them to believe in a different gospel. And we have no shortage of these folks today. I put here in my notes... You could jump on Trinity Broadcasting Network, YouTube, Instagram, or TikTok, and you could be provided with an array of quote-unquote Christian influencers who will lead you astray by the grace of God in 45-second reels or sound bites. All for followers, likes, and shares. And there's no biblical office of social influencer, by the way. Like, when I meet a pastor that says that I'm an influencer, I'm like, well, congratulations. Like, that's wonderful. Like, good for you. So be careful who you listen to. Church, if I'm honest, there are people in this room that have shared things, even on Facebook, that when I see it, I'm like, oh, that's not good. That's not good. Or specific past. Some of you are looking around, is it me? Is it me? Here, look, just to disarm everybody, probably, it's probably you, okay? Uh, like, okay. Uh, uh, I had a lady years ago, she always made eye contact with me when I preached, and I would look at her a lot, and she said sometimes if I would talk about a heavy topic, she said I would stare right at her. She was like, I did not commit adultery, I promise. So, like, uh, so yeah, just to disarm everybody, yeah, you, just, yes, you, you have probably shared something that's not good. I have too. I'll tell you what, I've been shocked because I've, I've found people who sound good, because like in a 45-second sound bite, you can sound really good. It, it sounds good enough. And I've shared it or passed it on. And I've had friends reach out and they said, hey, did you know that guy is a raving heretic? Like, he's psychotic. And I do some quick research and I'm like, uh, hide from timeline. Like, I just like immediately like try to make it go away. So we have to test what we're told. We have to test what they say. Because what we'll see in our fourth observation from verses 7 through 9, we have to remain faithful to the gospel. That's hard when your heart is tempted to wander away to be faithful to the gospel. So Paul says in verse 7 that those who are troubling the church and distort the gospel, they do so intentionally. Notice he uses the word want. They want to harm the church. So in light of that, we have to be on high alert. And then after he reveals this, he doubles down with this specific warning twice. If anyone, himself included, me included, or angels, pardon me, should preach another gospel contrary to what was originally preached, let him be accursed. Now, this word accursed is the word anathema in the original text, which literally means to damn or excommunicate. This isn't a light thing. This This is a serious matter. If someone tries to distort the gospel, let him be damned. Let him be excommunicated. Now, one thing I love about our church, we're not a perfect church by any stretch of the imagination, uh, mostly because we're here. There are people in it. 
But I'm thankful to serve alongside guys like Brandon and Colt and our deacon body who have a desire to honor the Lord in what we do. So, that's what it, so this is what that means for you as a churchgoer. If we have someone come in the doors of this church and they try to preach a different gospel, they try to teach something that is not true, they will not last long at Bellevue Baptist Church. It's not that we're going to chase them out of town with a stick. We're going to sit down with them. We're going to talk. But after a while, we are going to cut them off. You don't get opportunities to mislead Sunday school classes here. You don't get opportunities to mislead our children. You don't get opportunities to work with our youth if you're going to promote these lies. We're just not going to deal with it. We're going to cut them off. Why would we do that? Because this is a present tense command. It's a present active imperative. Let them be cursed. We don't play nice. We don't ghost them or ignore them. That's one of the worst things you could ever do. Maybe it'll just go away. Maybe they'll just start going to a different church. Let's just not stir the pot. No, let's stir the pot. Let's see what happens. Let's see what's cooking. These people will try to twist what the Word says. And as I said before, we have no shortage of influencers, pastors, who distort the truth. They twist what the Bible says about salvation. They malign what the Bible says about creation, including gender roles, sexuality, and the family. That's what we've seen so prevalently in the last few years. The sexualization of our children is one of the greatest tragedies I've ever witnessed in my lifetime. And the fact that it happens within churches, that we have Methodist churches that that host drag queen story hours. Like, get out of here with that mess. Like, no time for it. Does God damn that? Absolutely. Absolutely, 100%. Remember, there's no alternative to Christ. These people have to be cut off. And we don't need another second opinion about the word. We're called to be adherents of it, not editors. But Paul warns in 1 Timothy 4, verses 1 through 2, he says that the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and the teaching of demons. Through the instant, And then he says this in verse 2, Through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. So these are false teachers that not only teach a false gospel, their hearts are cauterized. They don't feel anything, no remorse for what they do. And that's a scary place to be. They don't care about the destruction they leave in their wake. They move on from place to place to place. One of the greatest things that's ever happened to me as a pastor was years ago when I was pastoring a church in Kansas. We had a a guy that started coming to our church, and I received a phone call from his former pastor. And he said, look, you guys can obviously do whatever you want to do as a church, but I need to tell you about this man. And he explained the history. And this man had a history of going from church to church to church, being an arsonist, lighting fires, causing trouble, not literally, but like, so some of you were like, oh my goodness. I'm like, no, you, you know. I have family members that commit insurance fraud and I can get you in touch with them if you need help. But, uh, so, but they would go from church to church to church, causing trouble, causing division, and then they would move on as everything would blow up. Well, as a church, do we need to be proactive about that? Absolutely. So it was good to have a heads up. This is why church membership is important. 
And one of the things we talk about when we receive uh, member requests, member letters, is, is this person a member in good standing? Because we're not going to lie to the next church. Sure, Fairview, take them. Like, like they are one of, they are exemplary, they are not selfish, and they definitely do not cause problems. Like, here you go, like, Meadowbrook, here, here's 10 or 12, like, whatever. We don't do that because that's not God-honoring. This is why membership is important. And so these false teachers with cauterized consciences, they tickle people's ears, and they run errands for the devil. And then lastly, our last observation is the reason this is important, why it's most important, going back to the fear of the Lord, we have to live to please and exalt Christ. So we have a choice to make. Who will we follow, man or God? Because Paul says you can't do both. He says, am I now seeking to please men or am I seeking to please the Lord? And he said, if I was trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. Jesus said himself that you cannot serve two masters. You'll love one and you'll hate the other. And if you seek to please the Lord, church, you need to take this to the bank. And I've res- years ago, I had to resolve to let this be the reality I live in. If you seek to please God, you will be hated by the world. Let me say it one more time. If you seek to please God, you will be hated by the world. A pastor friend of mine that pastored for over 55 years, he went to be with the Lord a couple years ago. He said, if you, as a Christian, if someone has not threatened to try to get you fired or ruin your reputation in town, you're probably not doing anything right. Because at some point, it's going to cost you to follow the Lord. In a couple weeks, I'll be preaching again. You can decide not to come that Sunday. It doesn't matter. Uh, I'll be preaching on being hated by the world. And so to make that decision to follow Jesus means that you have put yourself at odds with the world around you. But, and hear this, being hated by the world and loved by God is infinitely better than being loved by men and alienated from God. We want to cling to him. And so you have a choice to make. Joshua 24, 15 is familiar to a lot of us, but I think it would do us well to hear it. Joshua says, if you think it's evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day who you will serve, whether it's the gods of your fathers who served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live now. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So we must be willing to live as exiles. And the question that you need to ask right now is whose house, or your house, who do you serve? And if you're a parent, parent, Tell parents, tell your kids. Let them know who you serve out loud. Josh, hey, do you know who our, who our house serves? The Lord, right? Amen. Thank you. I disrupted his tablet time. All right. Um, we live to please the Lord. Grandparents, tell them grandbabies. Tell them who you serve. Don't be embarrassed about it. Lord knows you're not embarrassed of your grandkids. Show everybody in the world. Um, it was, it was, you remember back in the 90s when you only had a wallet full of pictures? And now you got an iPhone with like 7,000. Someone says, hey, let me show you the grandkids. And I get to watch every moment of their entire life for the next 10 minutes. All right. But you grandparents, you love that. Tell your grandkids who you serve. Tell your neighbors. Let everyone know that Christ is Lord. Don't be ashamed of it. 
And let them know that you serve for his glory by word and deed. Now we preach all this because Christ gave himself for us. And though we're often faithless, he never changes. And he deserves our loyalty and obedience. And what I want us to understand as we come to a close is that on the cross, Jesus accomplished the will of the Father to save sinners like you and sinners like me. He was hated. His own people abandoned him. He suffered the full wrath of God so that you could have complete forgiveness and eternal life. He left nothing unfinished, and he loves you more than you could ever understand. And I hope, if you haven't, that you will trust him today. Uh, I'm going to ask the band to come up. We're going to move into a time of invitation, and I'm going to tell you what you're invited to do. After I pray, I'm going to walk right down there next to this communion table. And if you have never trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, today is the day you're not guaranteed another moment. So if that's a decision that you have made, come meet me today, and either me or someone else, we will pray with you and talk with you this morning. If you have never joined a church family, or you've been attending here for a while, and you want to call Bellevue home, we want to have you. If there's alignment, we want to work to get together with you for God's glory. So meet me down here to talk about that. If you've slipped in the sin or wandered astray, we want to pray with you about that. And then finally, there's altars on both sides of this building. And every single week, I would love to see people praying, just giving God thanks for the blessings he's given and putting their burdens down for him. So if you want to come, you come, and we'll be here to meet you. Let me pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your goodness, and I just ask that as we've heard your word, that you would help us realize and to live with urgency every day that we have been saved into eternal life with you. Once we were aliens and foreigners, now we're citizens of heaven. And I pray that you would let joy well up within all of us to know that we belong to you. Help us to be faithful because we are often faithless. Help us to endure. See us through. Help us to trust you. Lord, for those who are going through hard times right now in this room, I lift them up to you. I pray that you would give peace to their weary hearts as they lift up their cries to you. I pray. Thank you for listening to the Bellevue Baptist Gadsden Podcast. We would love for you to join us on campus for worship Sunday mornings at 1045. We look forward to seeing you. Have a great week.